You are Locked On Angels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network and FanRag Sports. What's up, everybody? How's it going? My name's Patrick Zajac, your host of Locked On Angels, minor league play-by-play broadcaster, first row rider of the emotional roller coaster that is Angels baseball. Welcome to your daily Angels update here on Locked On Angels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network and Fan Rag Sports. Kicking off week three of Locked On Angels. It's going by quickly. Um, in this same time frame, we'll pretty much be at opening day at the end of the month. So as exciting as spring training has been, cannot wait for opening day. That's always, I shouldn't say at the back of our minds. It's at the front of all of our minds as baseball guys. I mean, it is it is what it is, right? Coming up, opening day, cannot wait for it. This is also episode 10 of Locked On Angels. You guys have been fantastic through the first two weeks. Our guests have been fantastic. Got more guests coming for you this week. Nick Hamelin formerly of Baseball Essential. He'll be joining us for tomorrow's episode. And later this week, we plan on having a chat with Taylor Blake Ward. I'm sure those of you in the Angels circle, um, Angels fans know all about Taylor Blake Ward's work um, and all that he does, keeping everyone informed on all things going on in the Angels organization. More than likely going to chat with him during the weekend, so we'll have that episode up for you uh, more than likely a week from today on Monday, because today, March 4th, you just got me. No guests today, but... I'll try and keep things fresh, keep it fun here. To kick off the show, we'll begin our five-part series this week on reasons why the Angels will make the playoffs. And don't worry, for those of you that see the glass a little more half-empty, next week, also another five-part series on why the Angels will not make the playoffs. So we'll be sure uh, to cover both sides of the argument there, whether or not the Angels can make it or whether... They will not, um, and you guys can ultimately make your own determination. Let me know what you think after each episode, of course, at Locked on Angels on Twitter. Uh, reason number one in that five-part series today, we'll be talking about the second base position, the upgrade the Angels got there going into the 2018 season, Ian Kinsler. We'll dive in to his potential impact this upcoming season. That's going to be to kick off the show. In our second segment, we'll go through the best of the weekend in Tempe. Studs and duds from Friday through Sunday's action. Uh, A lot to get to, and you can rest assured, definitely going to be talking about Shohei Otani and our boy on this podcast. Uh, He's become pretty much uh, one of our well-known, likable guys in the Angels farm system after our chat as well with Brent McGuire, Matt Theis. You know he's going to be a part of the studs section with his two home runs over the weekend. And lastly, Justin Upton, some notable comments just before the weekend in his conversation with The Athletic. We'll discuss our thoughts on the matter and why Upton actually went up a few notches in our book. And it's not that he was on bad footing in the first place, but... Love to see the realism from Justin Upton, and we'll discuss in our final segment here today. But first, let's get right down to it. Part one, why the Angels will make the playoffs. It starts 
with Ian Kinsler. I mean, second base has been just an absolute black hole for the Angels since the trade that gave up Howie Kendrick at the end of 2014. Andrew Heaney comes in return of that, and finally he'll be healthy for this upcoming season. But since then, not too many great options for the Angels. They've trotted out Johnny Giovatella in 2015, who had a fairly solid year. I mean, he was never seen as a long-term option at that position and, and filled in admirably. I'll give him that. But uh, he just didn't play defense well, was all right as a hitter, always hitting the bottom third of the order for the most part, had some big moments um, in, in big spots over the course of the year, and he became sort of a cult hero for the Angels fan base that season simply because it wasn't even expected that he would win the second base job that spring. Ultimately ended up with a war, uh, wins above replacement around one that year, and then fell off a little bit, regressed to the mean, if you will, in 2016, split time back and forth with Cliff Pennington because of his struggles. As a result, Angels in 2016 finished 28th in second base production, and that's in terms of wins above replacement. And then 2017, Danny Espinosa was brought in to fix the second base issue. Local guy comes in. You know he's going to be a, a great defender and hopefully at least be a 20-plus homer kind of guy to, to give you some sort of protection in the lineup and at least do enough to cement his spot because he gives you so much value defensively. And he was just no knock on the guy personally, but Danny Espinosa was absolutely horrendous, horrendous in 2017. 77 games, hit 162 with an on-base percentage of 237, only slugged 276. That's it. That's a oh, that's an OPS of just over 500. Not good. Uh, is that bad? No, it's it's not good. It's not good. Um, 91 strikeouts in 226 at-bats as well. I don't care how great you are defensively. You just can't be a big league hitter in any lineup with those sorts of numbers. After that, more or less a revolving door for the Angels at the position. Nolan Fontana, Nick Franklin, Caleb Cowart, Brandon Phillips was the late acquisition, and he kind of provided some stability there. But given his age and where he's at with his career, was never going to be a fit beyond this season in Billy Epler and the Angels' minds. And once again, in 2017, once again, the Angels, 28th production-wise at second base in Major League Baseball. 28th, only ahead of two other big league clubs. In total, in 2017, a minus 0.8 wins above replacement. So a replacement player, which I wish the Angels would have had said replacement player, would have been a better option at second base last season for the Angels. But the good news, Ian Kinsler brought on in the trade. Billy Epler makes the move. Uh, originally had Zach Cozart slated and signed or at least agreed to a deal, ready to go, play second base. Then the opportunity to trade for Ian Kinsler comes up. Billy Epler has to call Zach Cozart. Hey, man, would you mind moving instead of to second to third? Cozart being a great guy, great ball player wanting to win. Agrees to the move. He makes way for Ian Kinsler. Now, despite the down year for Ian Kinsler in 2017, he still managed to produce a wins above replacement of two, which is, I, I can't even stress the improvement at the position there over the revolving door that the Angels had the previous season. 
Gold Glover in 2016, a career 342 on base percentage and a career OPS plus of 109. And for those of you that don't know, I actually didn't know this about OPS plus uh, until fairly recently looking into it myself, especially in preparation of this podcast, but OPS plus. So 100 is league average. Anything above that, that's percentage wise what you are better than the rest of the league. So 9% better than the major league average in terms of OPS on base plus slugging percentage. And like I said, down year in 2017 still produced two wins above replacement. That's almost a three-win improvement for the Angels just with the addition of Ian Kinsler. So again, if Ian Kinsler has a marginal year, at least an average year, here are his career averages. Batting average of 273, on-base percentage of 342. Oh yeah, he's also going to hit around 23 home runs. That's his average, a high of 32 back in 2011 with Texas. Don't think he'll ever get back to those numbers. But even last year, what was a down year? 22 home runs and 81 RBIs is his career average per season as well. I don't think he'll get there simply because he'll be in the leadoff spot um, for the Angels, especially if he produces the entire season. And we've already gotten a glimpse of of what Ian Kinsler can bring to this offense, setting the table, hitting ahead of Mike Trout, grinding out at bats. Man, just watching this guy battle with an opposing pitcher is awesome to watch. You get him down on two strikes, he's fouling pitches off that are just off the edge of the plate, waiting for you to throw something out over the plate that he can do some damage with. He is not going to go down without a fight, and I think he is that perfect example of a guy that you absolutely hate to face and hate if he's on the opposing team, but a guy that you absolutely love if he is on your team because not only the production that he'll give you, he's just a clubhouse, a proven clubhouse guy, a veteran leader, been to the playoffs, been to a couple World Series with the Texas Rangers, knows how to win, and just a grinder in every sense of the word. I cannot wait to see Ian Kinsler. I've already enjoyed what we've seen from him so far this spring. I think it's only going to get more exciting for Ian Kinzer. So that's that's uh, part one of our five-part series this week, our main stories of the week, why the Angels will make the playoffs. I think reason number one, Ian Kinsler, big improvement over a, just a monumental position of need for the Angels this offseason. And Billy Epler step up, stepped up and did a great job in filling that hole. Coming up next, studs and duds of the weekend in Tempe from the weekend that was. But first, if you guys know of somebody that wants to sponsor the show, or maybe you yourself wants to sponsor a show, you got a, you own a business somewhere in Orange County, Anaheim area, tuning in. Well, good news. You got those types of folks listening into this podcast each and every day, Monday through Friday. Dedicated, passionate Angels fan base. Passionate about the city that they're, they live in or they're from. Hit me up, LockedOnAngels at gmail.com. Rates are reasonable, especially now that we're only in week three. But more listeners, more traction that we gain, those rates, you know, they're not going to stay this way forever. So hit us up at Twitter, LockedOnAngels is the Twitter handle, or, of course, LockedOnAngels at gmail.com. All right, coming up before the end of the show, We'll discuss our thoughts on some comments that Justin Upton made on the current landscape in baseball that made made headlines just before the weekend. But first, studs and duds 
of the weekend. And all right, let's start with the studs. I think you got to start with Shohei Otani. Makes his second start this spring on the mound and just displayed some absolutely nasty stuff, albeit in a B game against the Brewers. They actually moved it from what was scheduled to be on the backfield to the main stadium because Shohei Otani was on the mound. So there's that Otani effect, if you will. Faced 12 hitters in all, struck out eight of them, and some of the videos, if you guys haven't seen it, I encourage you. It was posted all over Angel's Twitter, um, you know, just the accounts that we follow here on Locked On Angels posting videos. Uh, the behind-the-plate shots of what of some of the off-speed pitches that this guy was throwing, the curveballs, the sliders. I mean, this guy has some absolutely astounding movement on his pitches that you just do not see in this day and age. And the results were there this time around, striking out eight of the 12 hitters that he faced. Cannot wait to see Shohei Otani in the regular season in some meaningful action. But, man, the results right now, the hype is still there. It hasn't lessened at all with Shohei Otani. If anything, seeing him now in person in the United States has only upped the ante a little bit. Shohei Otani, definitely a stud from the weekend. We look to see him back in the lineup sometime early this week. Garrett Richards, stud number two. We're going to go dual pitchers here. The one-two punch atop the Angels rotation. Three shutout innings for Richards against the Cubs. Surrendered just two hits and two strikeouts. Commanded both his fastball and off-speed pitch as well. Just plain and simple. Looked sharp. I mean, it was only three innings. It was only his second spring start. But I, as excited as I am for Shohei Otani, Garrett Richards, if he can stay healthy, he's never had a down year, mind you. Never been in a real rut of a year that he hasn't performed well when he's healthy. Health is just the issue there. So if Garrett Richards stays healthy, I'm confident that he can be the ace of this rotation. You slot in Shohei Otani behind him, or if Otani's your one, Garrett Richards your two, I see them as a 1A, 1B situation. But those guys stay healthy, man. That is an enviable, enviable top two in any major league rotation. I think... Of course, health has been much discussed on this podcast, much discussed in the Angels circle and in national publications when talking about the Angels going into 2018. But man, Richards, Otani, how can you not get excited about that? And how can the stud section be complete from this weekend without talking about our favorite prospect in the Angels organization, Matt Theis, four for six over the weekend. I, I was bummed out because last week we had to put Theis in the dud section given his struggles to start spring. Now four for six over the weekend, three extra base hits, two of which were home runs, the impressive towering shot to deep center uh, on Saturday night against the Mariners. Now has upped his spring average to 294 and what does he do that Billy Epler loves? He gets on base, 368 on base percentage so far this spring. Hats off to you, Matt Theis. And honorable mention studs as well. Justin Upton, his first homer of the spring on Sunday. And uh, I don't believe we've mentioned his name too much on this podcast, but we should be. Rene Rivera, the backup catcher for the Angels in 2018. He's hitting 462 this spring. Yeah, great stuff from your backup catcher. Those are the studs. Let's move on to the duds. Uh, Caleb Cowart and Jose Fernandez, again, struggling. They're two of the candidates for that backup infielder job. I, I really don't know where 
Billy Epler and Mike Sosha and the guys might be leaning for that final final 25-man roster spot. Colin Walsh has started out well, but he's a bit of an unknown in terms of spring stats. He's certainly leading the way. Uh, if I had to decide right now, I still think Caleb Cowart gets the nod as that final in as that final bench piece for the 25-man roster come opening day. But the spring right now, not incredibly encouraging, at least at the plate. I'll give Cowart credit. He has looked good defensively playing at second and at third. Um, and, and he does have experience with the big league club based on his call from last year. Flashed a little bit, Caleb Cowart did, in that little two-week stint he had at the end of July and August in 2017. So he has shown it in flashes, but not consistent enough so far in his career and so far this spring. So he makes our duds list from the weekend. Blake Parker, dud number two, another tough outing for him. Uh, just two-thirds of an innings pitch, gave up a run on two hits. A little bit better fastball command, certainly, than his first spring appearance. Also had two strikeouts. That's how he, that's how he got both of his outs. So a uh, tough start to the spring for Blake Parker, but we'll trust that he'll settle in anytime soon. And Matt Shoemaker, he rounds out our duds list. Another tough outing on the mound, pitched two and a third innings, three runs on four hits. But the alarming thing, two home runs surrendered to the Colorado Rockies. So, again, Shoemaker, he's been known as a fly ball pitcher. That wall in right field coming down 10 feet might not treat Shoemaker too well. We we hypothesized before that that wall might play some tricks with Tyler Skaggs and Parker Bridwell, two other known fly ball pitchers on the Angels staff. So, that's that's the tough thing, but again, it is Arizona. It's spring ball, dry air, ball flies in Arizona, so maybe I don't think it's a cause for concern yet, but uh, enough of a concern to make our duds list, that's for sure. So that rounds out our studs and duds of the weekend as we do here on Locked on Angels every Monday on the show. Let us know what you thought. Studs, duds, who are your studs? Who are your duds so far this spring? We can't keep an eye on everybody. These are just thoughts to spark discussion among all of you spot to come up with different thoughts surrounding the team form your own opinions that's the whole point of this show is to make it all inclusive all interactive with all of you that's why we do what we do coming up next justin upton's comments before the weekend that grabbed headlines and our thoughts justin upton article that ran written by pedro mora in the athletic which if you aren't subscribing to the athletic i highly recommend it simply for the baseball staff that they got coming up through there i mean our podcast is phenomenal if i may say so myself but that just awesome things going on at the athletic pedro mora has produced some fantastic stuff on the angels so far this season had an interview with Justin Upton talking, you know, where baseball is today, the free agency, the cold stove of this offseason, if you will, uh, launch angles, different stuff like that. But the 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 comments that Justin Upton made in that interview that that made headlines, as I alluded to before the weekend, is more or less, you know, every team wants you at their price when you're a free agent nowadays. There's no courting process, and he, he mentioned that multiple times. There's no, you know, inviting a guy out over to your stadium, whining and dining him and having this whole little celebration for him and envisioning what it would look like to put your home jersey on. Now, as Justin Upton said multiple times, you know, teams are calling free agents, basically telling you how bad you are, where your game needs work, and then trying to sign you to short-term deals with an average annual value that's way lower than you expect 
because they want to sign you on their terms. They don't want to get you at 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 your terms as a free agent. They want you to fit in to what they want to do, which makes sense from the team side of things. Obviously, it's a little shady in the ways they're going about it, and I'm not going to distrust Justin Upton on this one. He was just a free agent. And one of the things he said also when he was a few free agent a few years ago that he got calls maybe from seven anywhere to ten or even a dozen teams that were telling him how bad he was in order to sign him to one-year deals, offered him just one-year deals. And one of the biggest takeaways he got from that is, you know, to these front offices now, players have simply become numbers and stats, and it's all about what have you done for me lately, you know, as as analytics continue to progress, as the st- statistics around the game continue to progress and evolve, and we learn more uh, and how to quantify things in true numbers. You know, Justin Upton says, and I, I got to agree with him on this one, that we just see them as numbers. We forget that these players are actual people and that their, their personality, their makeup – whether or not you're a leader, how you gel within a clubhouse, those things still matter. Now, obviously, with all that we know about the game numbers-wise, they don't matter as much, especially to front offices trying to sign free agents and build the best roster that they possibly can. And as everyone gains more and more information, that's all available to all 30 front offices, whereas early on, you know, you had pioneers in front offices Moneyball with the A's in 2002 comes to mind, of course. But now all these front offices are smart. They're all thinking the same way. It's all about developing young talent, signing them to early extensions, keeping them cheap and on the books. Why should they pay, you know, in their minds, why should they pay a guy who's on the wrong side of 30, a multi-year deal at a higher average annual value for what he's already done when they're only going to be getting the current version of him? And the future version of him, three, four, five years down the line. And that's been the tough thing of this whole offseason in the fight between players and owners slash front offices is that, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily go all in with the player side. I don't necessarily go all in for the front office and owner side because from a front office perspective, yeah, absolutely. I don't believe that I should have to pay for a guy's worst years and pay him over what he's worth because of what he's already done in the league, especially if it's for another team. If it's for the hometown team that he's been with his whole career, okay, maybe that makes a little bit more sense because there might be that emotional tie, but we don't see that anymore. And from a player's side of things, you know, numbers don't tell the whole story. So much this offseason, and we talked about it a lot earlier on this podcast, especially in our conversation Uh, a couple weeks ago with Trent Rush and talking about the Angels clubhouse culture, but Justin Upton is seen as a veteran leader in the clubhouse, along with Mike Trout and Albert Pujols, and their chemistry is fantastic. So fantastic, they gelled so well together in just a month that Justin Upton decided to forego free agency and sign a multi-year deal with the Angels. That is huge. So that cannot be understated, the relationships between players and creating that clubhouse culture. Moreover, that same clubhouse culture for the Angels convinced Ian Kinsler to waive his no-trade clause, which the Angels were one of the teams in his contract that he could not be traded to. He waives it because of what Justin Upton told him about the team. So, again, there 
life, I feel we make it so much or try to so much about making everything black and white. And you know what? The world's gray area, man. There's gray area to almost everything. It's impossible to pick a side in my estimation in this whole players versus owners and front offices debate. I see it from both sides. And that's what makes this whole thing not only so fascinating to read about as we continue to learn more and progress as a sport, but just this the discussion. It's it's tough to really pick a side and formulate an opinion that sticks to one side. And that's what is the challenge for Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball moving forward. What's the solution? I don't know. I don't have it. But before we finish, I just want to say I'm 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 just psyched that Justin Upton, you know, I mentioned that he went up a few notches in our book just to see the personality from these guys. Athletes nowadays, you know, we're so conditioned to just hear vanilla responses from these guys in press conferences and in interviews on the field. We don't want them. We want them showing emotion, but not too much emotion because it could be seen as disrespectful. But Justin Upton, you know, dropped a couple F-bombs in that interview, was very candid in his responses. This is what I think about baseball, the game I love, and what's wrong with it, but also what's great about it. I think that's awesome to hear. That's what I want to hear as a fan. I want to believe that these guys, I mean, they are people. I don't want to say I want to believe that these guys are people. They are people. And I think the more emotion that you put into baseball, which for so many decades had to be emotionless, from, every, from guys covering the game, from a fan perspective, that they almost became robots. And I think now we're finally getting to that day and age. I mean, were the Astros? Yeah, yeah, they're in our division, division rivalry in the AOS, whatever. But they were just fun, man. Watching that World Series as a neutral party, maybe rooting more so for the Astros because I couldn't bring myself to root for the Dodgers. And that makes sense. But the Astros were just fun. They had a fun team. Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, all those guys, George Springer. The emotions coming out of that World Series were fantastic to watch, and we need more emotion in our game, in my estimation. And Justin Upton showed a little bit of that in that interview on The Athletic. So, Justin Upton, hats off to you, my friend. Thank you for speaking your mind and telling it as it is. It was awesome, awesome to see. That's going to do it for today's show. Coming up on tomorrow's show, part two of our five-part series on why the Angels will make the playoffs. And Nick Hamlin, formerly of Baseball Essential, he'll join us to chat about his thoughts on the Angels going into the season, which, again, begins in just a few weeks. I know we all cannot wait. Well, that's going to do it, folks. I'm Patrick Zajac. You can find me at OtherPatZajac on Twitter. Most importantly, be sure to follow our Twitter page at LockedOnAngels for all updates regarding the show and our website, LockedOnAngels.com, part of FanRag Sports. You can find us on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review. Also on Google Play, but there was a little bit of an issue there, but you can't find us on Google Play. Still getting that sorted out. We'll bring that to you very, very soon. Comments, questions, concerns, anything. Shoot us an email, lockedonangels at gmail.com. I got to get out of here. Get ready for my week. Have a good Monday, guys. Peace.